So, welcome to one of the last sessions on the last day. So, we're hoping that hasn't dampened your enthusiasm for the very exciting topic of this afternoon, which is net positive. So, what we want to do in this session is just to share a few thoughts of why net positive, why now, um, and what do we mean by net positive, and also to share two businesses' experience of getting to grips with net positive and for them to share what they are taking to mean by net positive. So we have a great set of panellists here. We have Dax Lugrove from WWF UK, Becky Coffin from Kingfisher PLC and Graham Seabrook from BT. And they will all be standing up in a moment for seven minutes only. They have been warned and they in fact only have about seven slides each. So I'm hopeful that they will stick to time because what I really would like to do is to encourage a conversation um, and have a little bit of debate about what do we mean by net positive? What does it really look like? How do we communicate it? And just kind of really start to kick the tires a little bit on net positive. But I guess just first of all, um, in terms of, well, why net positive and why now? I was thinking about the answer to that question earlier, and um, I seem to be um, ha having a lot of um, quotes in my head at the moment. And one of the ones that sort of struck me this morning when I was thinking about this is the quote that I first heard actually in the US a couple of years ago, which is, if nature was a bank, it would have been bailed out a long time ago. And for me, that's why net positive is so, so, so important because actually going to zero probably isn't going to be enough. And this is very high risk, but I just wanted to quickly share a sustainability framework with you at 3.35 on a Tuesday afternoon. But it helps explain why I think net positive is so critical and so important right now. So at Forum for the Future, we have lots of frameworks, um, but the one that actually we've used for the longest and is 17 years old is our five capitals framework, which helps explain what we mean by sustainability. And what we mean by sustainability is the point at which we can live off the flows of certain capitals. And there are five capitals. Natural capital, the one I just referred to, so the natural assets and resources upon which we are completely reliant as a human race. And then human capital, which is the health, skills, motivation of us as individuals, social capital, which is the value of networks, values of communities, then manufactured capital, which is infrastructure, the stuff that we rely on to live our lives, and then financial capital, which arguably doesn't have a value of its own and is a measure of the previous four. And so sustainability is the point at which we've built the value of each of those capitals so that we can live off the interest. And clearly, right now, if we look at natural capital, social capital, even financial capital, actually, are those levels high enough such that we can live off the interest? I think we know the answer to that. So there's a big natural deficit. There's a social deficit. We haven't even talked about the economic deficit. So right now, we need businesses to do much more than minimize and go to zero. They need to put something back so that we can retrain our course and actually move more towards a sustainable future. So that, for me, is why net positive is so important. It's why I'm really excited about it. And it's also why, in partnership with WWF UK and the Climate Group, we've set up a net positive group, which actually feature two of the um, businesses here. And that's because we think the time is right to bring organisations together that are interested in net positive. The group includes Coca-Cola Enterprises, includes Capgemini, the Crown Estates, and by forming this group, we're trying to understand 
a bit more about net positive. And the first thing we're going to be doing is to articulate what we mean by net positive commitment. So we're hoping this group will be the start of a net positive movement. Well, that's what Dax really wants to see anyway. Um, and we're going to work hard on that. So we can talk more about the group as we go through this session or at the very end. But we're really serious about this. And it's actually one of the first projects that WWF and Forum for the Future and Climate Group have done together because all three organisations think that really now is the time to get serious about net positive. And DAX is going to pick up a bit more on that theme. And we have to see now if the technology works. Uh, thanks very much, Sally. Um, I think the future is targeted innovation, where companies will stand outside themselves and think about what are the problems that really need, need fixing and what are the solutions that my company uh, can bring to the table. So I think teams uh, standing outside their firms and thinking about um, that sort of approach is probably the, the way forward and, and the, the thing we need to head towards. <clears throat> um, and just a quick reminder, I mean, I don't need to remind anyone here really of this, but um, why do we need uh, to step into something new? Well, the red dotted line going down is good news. The modern dishwasher over that period is using less energy. But the red solid line going up is the sheer growth of ownership of dishwashers in Europe over the same period. So you can see appliances, vehicles, white goods, they're all getting more efficient, but the sheer growth in consumption is wiping away those efficiency gains. So absolute uh, growth is wiping out relative improvements. Very obvious, but that is why we need to step into something else. <clears throat> so um, I think the main way the business is still in that efficiency space, but we are seeing progress. Uh, we are seeing companies now who are, so, are seeking to decouple their uh, business growth from increasing the footprint. We are seeing uh, zero noughts, um, as John Elkington describes them, uh, companies heading towards creating zero negative impacts. But there's still in that sort of those camps uh, perhaps an element of damage control. And that's why I think the net positive agenda is much more exciting because it's flipping companies into thinking about new solutions, new interventions, new innovations at the customer end or in the supply chain uh, that can generate environmental and social benefits that put the footprint into the shade. And then I think we are heading in the long term towards targeted innovation. So uh, a very quick sort of uh, definition with Sally, as, as, as she said, uh, we have this working group up and running now. As you know, um, this is the sort of beginnings of the net positive journey. So every company has a footprint across all of its operations. It can generate environmental, social benefits uh, in the value chain, suppliers and with customers, and those environmental savings can put the footprint into the shade. But that's not enough. And why we've convened this group is to make sure um, that those interventions carry through and have positive impact on systems and that eventually... And we get real throughput to the biosphere. So we're not just in that efficiency space. We are creating um, disruptive, positive impacts on systems. And I will just whisk through a couple of examples of systems. So if you think about mobility, how we all get, get about, there is at last some 
positive disruption. It's still a glimmer, but we can see the future arriving. Um, even the big car companies now are getting out of just uh, car sales. Some of them are testing out car sharing and other kinds of mobility services, online, uh, on-demand car services. Um, so Avis is, is buying up Zipcar, as we all know. Hertz is, is providing a very similar service. BMW uh, is testing out car services in, in, in uh, Germany. Uh, Nissan is doing it in Japan. Um, and then the future is the, the one in the top right, integrated uh, uh, sort of innovations, where we're crossing transport modes, uh, bundled travel tickets, for example, that give customers uh, access to, to bicycles, public transport, electric vehicles, car sharing, other public transport, those sorts of things. So then the question for any company on a net positive journey is what could they bring to the table to accelerate this kind of positive disruption on the system of mobility? Same with the power sector. I mean, the, this is in the news all the time now. The big six are really resisting green policies right now. And, and we've got a hell of a challenge ahead of us. But the good news is there is, again, a glimpse of disruption on the horizon. Um, RWE, as you probably know, in Germany, because of the massive overhaul in energy policy, RWE is now having to reinvent itself. And its rhetoric is about being a renewable energy enabler. And it's looking much more at decentralized energy more seriously than it did before. Um, UGEN in the southwest links up uh, buyers and sellers of trusted uh, clean tech services. Uh, Kingfisher, Ikea, uh, you'll hear from Becky soon. But those things where they're providing micro-renewables, selling solar panels, that is a positive disruption that really could make a difference in the long term. That is having a positive impact on the power sector, perhaps not just right now, but give it a few years. These are the sorts of disruptions we need to see. The Trillion Fund, crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, uh, as is the, uh, the other one, abundance generation. So these are new things. Um, <clears throat> the built environment is a huge challenge, as we all know. How many homes uh, famously signed up to the Green Deal? 12, isn't it? 57? You might be right, but okay, 12, 57 is pretty appalling, isn't it? So we've got a hell of a challenge. Um, in the commercial world, you've got Cheshire Oaks at M&S. You know, it's got a hempcrete now, uh, green living walls to look at rainwater harvesting. Um, the other one is a plastics uh, packaging firm on the left, and that solar rooftop is two and a half football pitches worth the, the, the size of that. Um, and so slowly but surely, the built environment is starting to change. BT is bringing in uh, technology to help with smart meters and smart homes. Again, that is a huge challenge, but where can net positive approaches bring new solutions to green up this system? And then just the last um, slide, uh, I've pinched, I stole this off uh, Siemens, but the idea of integrated innovations. You know, where can companies collaborate with each other on the net positive journey to integrate mobility, power, uh, built environment solutions? So I think things are exciting. We need to see a lot more speed, a lot more pace, um, but I think that is the key difference about the key uh, about net positive uh, journeys. This is the potential that it can bring dramatic, disruptive, positive interventions. So, thank you very much for Dax. Just while I fiddle with the software, what's the most exciting positive disruption you've seen in the last 12 months? Uh, that is a very tough question at this time of day. 
Um, but, I mean, I, I do go back to the power sector. It, it, for me, it's been dismal with the power sector, the, the lack of innovation in, 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 you know, to be fair, what is a highly regulated uh, sector. It doesn't give companies much manoeuvre to innovate. But at the same time, homegrown en energy, lots of companies now generating their own kind of energy, uh, the crowdfunding of, of things, community schemes. Now there's 40 community schemes uh, that, that are looking at energy, local sort of energy generation. So I think what's exciting for me is the power sector at last uh, has a glimpse of, of, of positive change. Brilliant. So you heard it here first. Someone's feeling positive about the power sector. Anyway, we're from power to um, power tools, perhaps. Yes. And we're going to hear a bit more about Kingfisher PLC's approach to net positive. Becky. Thank you, Sally. And thank you for being clear that we are not, it's not Kingfisher the airline and it's not Kingfisher the beer. It's Kingfisher the home improvement retailer. Uh, so we're the largest home, Im home improvement retailer in Europe. We operate in nine countries around the world. And that spans around over 500 million households. So I'll just cover three things today. Firstly, uh, what we mean by net positive at Kingfisher. Secondly, why we think net positive is right for us. Um, and thirdly, three of the lessons that we've learned so far on our journey. So in terms of our business and what Kingfisher is all about, creating the leader is our business strategy. And as you can see, net positive is absolutely core. It's the eighth part um, and sometimes people say, you know, it's stuck down at the corner. Does that mean it was the afterthought? There's actually another way this diagram is drawn. The two one-team aspects sit below. And in the way that, that Jim was talking this morning, they actually support delivering what the business is all about rather than taking away from the business. Our core purpose at Kingfisher is to make it easier for our customers to adapt their homes to their evolving needs. The shorthand for this is better homes, better lives. And clearly, nowadays, those evolving needs, as Dax has been saying, are quite different. So their evolving needs are around reducing energy and reducing water, being more self-sufficient, using less materials, being closer and more connected to their neighbours and their communities. And so there's a real driver for net positive because it helps the business respond to those changing needs that our, our customers and the people who come into our shops are facing. So what does it mean for us? Well, quite simply, we've said we will have a net positive impact in four areas by 2050. Those four areas are timber, energy, innovation, and communities. We want to make a positive impact. We want to give back more than we take in those four areas. So why have we chosen them? Well, firstly, because they're the ones where we believe we can have most impact. But also, secondly, they're the ones which are going to drive most value for our business. There are other things which we've set standards for ourselves on because there's other things we know we have to do to, to be, be a responsible business. And there are 50 targets that sit in our foundations at the bottom there which cover those. Now, I don't have time today to, um, to take you through all of the, the detail of what the Net Positive program is about. It's all on our website, kingfisher.com slash netpositive. Please take a look. But suffice to say, we have articulated what our aspiration is. This is a long-term goal for our business. For example, in timber, it's about creating more forests than we use. Um, and we've also set a 2020 target, which is our first milestone on that journey. So why are we doing that positive? Well, I've already explained that it's absolutely core to the purpose of our business, delivering better homes and better lives. But besides that, I think there's three other 
reasons for us. Firstly, it's around our people, the people that work for us. Secondly, it's around the people who come and shop with us. And thirdly, it's around product. As our CEO said when he was launching this to the city last year, it's a whole lot more inspiring for him to be able to say to the 80,000 people in our business, we want to give something back. We want to have a positive impact. Trying to inspire people around a goal which is around doing less, it's just much harder to motivate them. It also resonates for our customers. So there's a YouGov survey that was done last month which found that 80% of people agree that it's more important than ever for businesses to give something back. Now that is almost double the number who said that a year before. Now quite a lot has happened around, I guess, belief in business and the ethics of business which is clearly driving that kind of perception. But basically people expect more now. And thirdly, we believe that for our business, which has got to be around finding new products, new propositions, this is something which helps create an environment which drives innovation, which drives growth, and which creates the freedom for people to, to look at those kind of solutions. So on to the final part now around the, the three lessons we've learned so far on our journey. And given that we've got until 2050, I imagine there's quite a few more lessons to come. Um, we found that looking at things through a positive lens does create a different outcome. And I want to take the example of our renewable energy offer here. So it was no secret that in 2009, B&Q had to take wind turbines off the shelves because the products we were selling were not working. The tests that had been done meant that when the products were out there, they weren't performing as they should. So we've learned from that lesson. This year, we're now offering an advanced energy efficiency solutions range, but we're doing it differently. And the, the difference this time is around collaboration. So IQE is a brand that brings together um, expert manufacturers who have lots of expertise in this area with Loughborough University, who have all the research and technical capability. And then we can provide a route to market for, for that technology. And it's a completely different product offering because of that collaboration. Secondly, we believe that it isn't just what you say, it's also what you do. And to be able to show that you're moving on the net positive journey, that's something you've got to try and build into your offer. So for B&Q, that's been done in two ways. Firstly, it's some of the symbolic gestures, the things like removing solar um, patio heaters from sale, like phasing out incandescent bulbs ahead of the schedule, and similarly, moving out of imidacloprid-based pesticides um, before there was an EU ban put into place. But it's also about leading industry change, and we feel this is a really key role for us. Um, back in the 1990s, B&Q was one of the founders of the FSC, and it was also, just the last couple of years, the first major retailer to achieve 100% responsibly sourced timber and paper, which is no small feat. But it also means we've got to tackle some of the harder issues. So at the moment, PEAT is one that B&Q are focusing on, um, being a piece in its growing media. And it's a very difficult issue because it's, it's costly and it's also about achieving, achieving the same performance in the peak-free alternatives. So we're taking a lead and trying new things. We've got a new product coming out next year on that, which we believe will lead the industry. And the final lesson, I think this is something we've particularly learnt in the sustainability side of the business, is that it's so important to put the product benefits first. There's a temptation sometimes to be, to try and push the sustainability credential. And we've got a product um, that shows this. So this is um, 
uh, something called Remade. It's a recycled worktop or a worktop made from recycled materials, which we're selling in our French business, Castorama, and we hope to bring to the UK in the future. So Remade is a product that is made from recycled wood and plastic, some of which we collect in stores, but we need more than we can collect. And it's formaldehyde-free, apart from what might be in that recycled product. And the point here is that those are not two points that our French customers care about. What they care about is the fact that it's 30% lighter, it's completely water-resistant, and it's much more durable and scratch-resistant. And it's a 15-year guarantee, not a five-year guarantee. So we need to constantly remind ourselves that we need to get that balance between the sustainability credentials, but it's the product that comes first because it needs to be desirable and useful for somebody to actually go out and buy it. So those are the things that I wanted to share with you today. I guess the, the key thing for us is that as a home improvement retailer, net positive is part of how we can deliver what we want for our customers. And hopefully we're going to have a positive impact in, in two of the areas that Dax identified around homes and around energy. Thank you. Great. So little insights into the Kingfisher story there. And, and Graham's going to talk to you about net good. So I'm going to talk a little bit about BT's BT's journey to, to NetGood. We've been, um, we, we launched the NetGood program in July, um, but that was the culmination of a, of a journey that's taken place over the, the last, um, in reality, the last 20 years. And I'm going to explain a little bit about how that journey has taken place and, and what our net goal, net goal, um, NetGood goal is, and, and then a, a little bit about lessons learned um, to, to take away. So, so, so one of the great things about working for a, for a telecoms company is that many of our, our products and services are in, inherently sustainable, whether it be um, broadband rolling out across the UK at the moment um, that enables you to connect with other people, to communicate with other people, or the, the global networks that, that, that underpin many of your businesses. They, they have demonstrable carbon benefits, and, and many of you will be familiar with the, the Smart 2020 report from, from Jesse in 2008 that... That, that tried to put a figure on that and came up with what I, I kind of think of as the, a mythical number of 7.8 gigatons of carbon that the ICT industry as a whole could save in other sectors. And, and, and so really, in many senses, the, 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 the net good goal that we've, we've um, tried to define within BT is building on that, that, that work from 2008 to say, well, what does that mean in, in practical terms for, for BT? So, so when we looked at what BT's impacts were, um, a, a, as a services company, most of our impact was around carbon. Um, that's the biggest single resource that, that or, or energy is the biggest single resource that we had to deal with. So for, for us, it was this challenge of how do we move from, as, as, as I think Dax said earlier on, how do we move from doing, doing less bad to a situation in which we're actually delivering um, a, a, a net good outcome. Now, the journey that I mentioned that started 20 years ago, in, in 1992, BT said its first, um, uh, measured its first carbon footprint. In 1997, we set our goal of trying to reduce that carbon footprint by 80% by 2016. That was a goal that we actually achieved last year. Um, uh, but, but at the same time, we also noticed two elephants at, at the back of the room. And, and those elephants for, for BT were the, the supply chain and the use of our products by our customers. So we, we set about trying to measure this true end-to-end -end carbon impact of our business. And, and, and what we found surprised us. Um, 
our, our, our operational carbon footprint was only something like 8% of our total carbon impact. So when we looked at this whole, this whole question of well, what would it mean to be net good, we said we can't just look at what we're doing as a business at our direct impact. We've got to look at our end-to-end -end impact because, like it or not, we are in some way responsible for that supply chain carbon footprint, 64%, and for the use of our products by our customers. So knowing that figure, we came up with an estimate for our end-to-end -end carbon footprint. Knowing that figure, we then set about the other side of the equation, trying to look at what the carbon abatement potential of our products and services was. And we developed a methodology, a very simple methodology. It looks at the volumes of products sold and the, the carbon uh, um, a carbon abatement enabled by those individual products to come up with the first cut view of what we thought we're currently doing as a business. And um, uh, by, by, by good fortune, whatever, we came up with a figure that was about 1.1 to 1. In other words, today, we believe we're enabling um, carbon savings of about the same magnitude as our end-to-end -end carbon footprint. Um, so on that basis, we set ourselves the, 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 the challenge by... 2020 of increasing that number to three to one. Okay, so, so the, 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 there's an important um, point, which again Dax mentioned earlier in terms of targeted innovation. The only way we're going to achieve that goal is, is by innovating in the products and services that we deliver. On the previous slide, I showed some of the products today that deliver carbon abatement, but we can't achieve that simply by volume growth in, in, in those product lines. We have to innovate. Um, and bring out new, new products and services. We have to innovate. And so BT is now actively looking at new areas, new products and services that we think we, we have a natural play. And it's not to say we're committed to working in these areas yet. This is part of our innovation agenda. Our research and development teams are exploring these areas. But the key thing and the key takeaway, I guess, is that adopting a net good goal, a net positive goal, will mean that our fundamental business strategy needs to change. Um, and I guess that in terms of the, the, the takeaways, um, the, the, focusing first on the, on the third one here, um, if you're going to introduce a net positive um, strategy into your company, expect your business strategy to change. It, it can't, I, I don't believe the two, you, you can continue with business as usual without adopting a new, uh, a new business strategy as well. But the, the positive thing, the net positive thing, is that that should be an enabler for business growth as well. Certainly, in, in, in any, um, in any uh, commercial company that is targeted on, on, on growth as well, we've got to keep shareholders happy. Um, they underpin the business. But the, the key message is net positive can also drive business growth as well. Other two quick takeaways. Um, firstly, it isn't easy, but you've got to start somewhere. Um, when we looked at how we set about measuring both our end-to-end -end carbon footprint and our carbon abatement, um, Methodologies don't exist for, for, for many of those things today. Um, we had to develop a new methodology for, um, to, to, to estimate the carbon abatement associated with products. Um, but we felt it was better to start somewhere than to sit there and simply not address the problem. So it's not easy, but, but, but tackle it. Um, uh, and last but not least, net positive will mean different things for different companies. For BT, it's a relatively straightforward, a relatively easy message. I have a lot of admiration for Kingfisher, a much more challenging business to consider what net positive means in the context of, uh, uh, of their business. And I mentioned earlier to, 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 to Dax and, and, and Sally that uh, last week I was presenting to Manchester Fire Brigade, um, who, who are looking at what, net, what net, positive, net positive means to them. 
just, just fantastic, so inspiring to see the, a fire brigade themselves beginning to think about how they can have a net positive impact on society. Thank you. Great. So there you go. A whistle-top stall through the world of net positive. Um, just before I throw it open to you, the audience, I just had a question each for Becky and for Graham, if I may, which is, given that we are at a conference that's called Sustainable Brands with a strong focus on communication, I just wondered what your thinking, what your approach has been in terms of are you going to take net positive to your consumers and I'm interested to know, Becky, what you think, and you can pick on any of your European brands. And obviously, with BT, it's both B2B and B2C. But I'm interested to know whether BT envisages taking net good into your B2C market, and if so, under what circumstances. So just really interested to know, you know how or if you're thinking about taking what has started off as corporate strategy into that kind of communication arena. So the straight answer is um, when we created Net Positive for Kingfisher, we didn't make it as a, a consumer-facing brand. And I think if you did, you probably wouldn't call it Net Positive because it definitely raises more questions than it answers, particularly in a, a business where you discover that there's definitely no translation in French for, for Net Positive either. Um, and the other point for us is that, for example, B&Q has already been on this journey, like BT, for, for over 20 to 30 years. And that means they've already got uh, a way of communicating these sorts of issues to customers. So for B&Q, it's called One Planet Home. And there was no need to change that. And I guess what we've been trying to ensure is that the way that we communicate to customers, however that is, embodies the, the principles and the values of net positive in the way that's being put across to our customers. I think outside of the UK, it's more complex because it's more of a blank sheet of paper. There is it's something we're looking at right now, so we haven't got to the conclusion of it. There is an opportunity potentially to look at how net positive plays with customers. And in fact, in France, we're already talking about um, maison positive, which is basically positive home, um, <laughs> which might work. Um, but equally, in other places like, for example, Russia, we might not choose to communicate at all because what's relevant to the customer there might be much more around health issues and there might be a different vehicle for doing that. Mm -hmm. So I think flexibility would be the bottom line for us. And is it in Russia there's no translation for sustainability? That's correct, yes. yes. There's no word for it. That's so because they don't seem to need it. Starting point. Um, Graham, what's the view from BT? I, I think I'd have to be honest to say that from a B2C perspective, it's not yet something we've addressed. Um, we, have, we have in the past looked at things like um, bring out a green broadband offering, for example. Um, but it was felt at that time, this was a, a couple of years ago, that there wasn't sufficient merit in, in doing so. So our, our focus since we launched the program back in, in July has been mostly actually on, on communicating to our investors. Um, and, and we have regular briefings for, for, for analysts and investors. Um, to get that messaging into our both a B2B and B2C uh, channels, I think, is really the, the, the next step. Investors understood net good. Um, very much so. Yes, yeah, very much so. And it's been a you know a very positive, uh, very positive feedback that we've had from them. We've had a number of roadshows now, and and it and it seems to be going down well. So they're not in the category that Paul was talking about earlier, which you know sometimes they can be a bit thick. They kind of they, they um, they've got net. <laughs> I, I I I think so. Yes, Marvelous. yes, that's uh, certainly the experience so far. Great. So it's all positive thoughts up here on the panel. Um, who would like to ask a question? So if we can take 
three questions at once, and then we can field them. So, uh, the, the first one is I, I um, no, no. Come on. Well, I'll ask them. I'll ask them, and you can decide which ones to answer. Uh, I uh, have the chance to write a sustainability strategy for one of our brands to uh, to be the most sustainable possible. So I thought of. Uh, is net positive the most sustainable strategy you can have? So that's a really easy question because it's yes or no. Uh, or unless it isn't, then you've got a long answer. Um, the next bit was that uh, I put an intern onto it. And um, do you have to, do you have to, uh, it's a bit of a take a question, uh, be net positive in absolutely every single area like uh, economic benefits, social benefits, environmental benefits? Uh, it seems that B&Q had chosen four areas, but is it actually net positive unless every single area is you've worked? Because some of them are going to be really hard, but you could be famous for one, okay, which is brilliant. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get on with it. Uh, uh, and then, it would, okay, I'll leave the third one out. They're two really good questions. Thank goodness for that. Um, so the questions there, panel, to think about are, is net positive the most sustainable strategy, and do you have to be net positive in every possible area? So hold those questions, and let's go to the gentleman behind. Yes, uh, good afternoon. My name is Philip. I'm working for WWF International, and actually I have a question mainly to you, Sally and, uh, and Dax. And it's a question about how to deal with the fact that there is still a big gap between what companies are doing on the ground and the policy positions they're following behind the <coughs> corridors. And I'm asking because I know of several companies, and a few of them are here uh, at this conference, who actually are actively lobbying against, for instance, progressive climate policy legislation. And the impact of that action is much bigger than the positive, and then, uh, bigger than the benefits they are having in, in terms of new products, sustainable products, yeah. uh, R&D, et cetera. So how to deal with that gap in terms yeah. of net positive? Okay, good question. And then I think, was there a hand? Um, yes, we'll just go over here. Ben Newsom, Vedantix. Um, I'm interested to know how much of a challenge it is um, to make the business case for your net positive programs um, internally to your senior management. And what do you do to overcome those sort of challenges? Great. Okay. Thank you very much for those questions. So, um, Dax, I'd like you to ask, answer, is net positive the most sustainable strategy ever? Um, Graham, Becky, if you can answer Jake's second great question, which is, do you have to be net positive in every possible area? And then, Dax, you can have a go at the policy <laughs> one, and I'll chip in. Um, and then... Both of Becky and um, Graham, the, the last question is, how much of a challenge was it to make the business case? So, Dax, is net positive the most sustainable strategy ever? Um, I think it could be. I mean, I went, when Ian Cheshire and Becky talks about the DIY business relying on so much on forests and timber and, and the fact that your business uses something like uh, a forest the size of Switzerland every year, to then have a long-term ambition to say, look, actually, we're going to try and create more forests than we use... I think that is the way to go. If, if, if we could get that ambition across the whole DIY sector and other sectors like construction who, who use huge amounts of timber, my God, we would be on the way to reversing um, forest loss. Um, if I may branch slightly into the other questions. I mean, for example, the chemicals industry which Philippe raises, you know, there's a number of chemical companies who are um, providing carbon-saving products so they're, they're going carbon positive in theory 
Um, and I think this is about where do you play, and, and those things are good things to, to do. But chemicals are massively hazardous, as we all know, and there's a lot more that the industry needs to do to phase out hazardous chemicals. So when you're thinking about a chemicals uh, company, I'd like to see them thinking about how do you become chemicals positive? How, how can you have positive effects of chemicals that completely outweigh uh, the sort of negative impacts while reducing the negative impacts? And on the lobbying side, Philippe, you're absolutely right. But I think this... Companies are in, in, in this space are having, I think their, their day is over, actually. If they were on one hand claiming to have uh, climate positive or, or, or good, robust sustainability strategies, and on the other, they're lobbying fiercely against um, strong ambitions around carbon targets in, in Europe and elsewhere. The, you know, the scrutiny is so fierce now. There's been a couple of reports just recently in The Guardian about this stuff, uh, that, that this is co the, the complete hypocrisy here. So I don't think companies are going to survive very much longer with any kind of credibility, especially with a, a smart bunch like us lot in the room or uh, you lot in the room. Um, you know, the, you're going to see through this pretty quick, and, and the crowd, everyone talks about the wisdom of the crowd now, the scrutiny of the crowd, sustainability professionals, experts, and so on. You know, th that is not going to last much longer. I would agree. I think this age of radical transparency into which we're hurtling means that I personally also don't think it's going to be that possible for much longer to have complete inconsistency between your policies and what's actually happening on the ground. But let's move to Becky. Do you have to be net positive in every possible area? Um, I think it's something that we asked ourselves these quest this question um, just over a year ago when we published net positive externally because we knew we were going to get asked it. Um, and it is ultimately the aim to be as net positive as you can across as much as you can. But I think, frankly, in the short term, there are limits. And it's better to be focused on where you can have a material impact. I mean, it was interesting hearing Starbucks this morning who are being forced to look at certain issues because that's what matters to their customers. But I would just say that's one of your filters of materiality. So it, it made them realise what was important. So I think for us, it'll be about focusing our energy and our effort, as you would in any project you do in a business, on the areas where you can have most impact first. And when we've learned the lessons from that, we'll then take them and we'll apply them across as much of the business as we possibly can. So, very, very similar answer, I'm afraid, Jake. Um, as, as my presentation sort of already outlined, certainly for us it was because of trying to identify what our biggest material impact was and then focusing on that to start with. Um, that, that doesn't mean we stop there, and, and certainly we already have um, programs that are active looking at uh, other impacts such as water, waste to landfill, etc. But for BT, those are relatively... Um, minor impacts compared to our, our, our carbon impact. Um, so, yes, fo focus on the biggest things first. A very quick point. When Sally and I and others got our working group off the ground, uh, net positive, uh, we're not going to mention any names whatsoever, but the lobbying issue came up pretty oh, quick. I was wondering whether you were going to mention this or not. And, and you know, unanimously around the table with, with participants, Becky and Graham and, 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 and us as conveners, it was pretty quickly arrived. The decision we got to was... Uh, there's a few companies we didn't want in the group because of their lobbying practices. Um, so let's uh, pick up the question about the business case. How much of a challenge was it to make the business case to the people with the power? Becky. Um, I think it required a lot of work and thought, but I think when you've done that, it's perfectly doable. So 
I mean, you mentioned the point around the amount of timber we use every year being um, equivalent to the size of a forest the size of Switzerland, which is a lot. So it's easy for us to make the case for the fact that we need to take action on protecting that precious resource for our business in the future. And we've made similar business cases around the other three pillars. And I think one of the things we learned was you do actually have to be quite specific and you need to put numbers around it. So the, the business strategy creating the leader that I showed you, that's about delivering higher like-for-like -like sales, higher gross margins, and cutting our costs as a business. So clearly we need to show how net positive helps deliver those objectives. And actually there are aspects of net positive which help deliver all three of those. Um, and so, for example, in energy, we, we were able to, to do some research and understand that there was a 70 billion euro market in energy efficiency across our three main European markets. Now, clearly, that's going to drive at least two or three of those pillars in, in creating the leader. Uh, adopting a closed-loop approach through our innovation pillar will, again, prepare our business to uh, respond and actually anticipate changes in uh, resource consumption in the future. And in our communities pillar, being more connected with our millions of customers will be good for our brand. So by getting into the detail and, and putting numbers around all of those, I think you know, it was quite easy to make the case, actually. Graham, your experience? So um, po possibly amusingly, uh, our NetGood program was launched by our former CEO, um, the day before he resigned. Uh, <laughs> I don't think the two were linked. Um, on, a, on a more serious note, um, in, in Livingston, our former CEO came from an, uh, an accountancy background, so, so getting the numbers to support the business case was absolutely critical. Um, and, and we spent over a year um, both developing the methodology um, and then assessing the, our, our product set in order to be able to present Ian with a, a set of supportable numbers for, for both our current position and our forecast, the three-to-one the three forecast. So without that, we wouldn't have got the, the sign-off to, 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 to build that aspect of the program. Um, so for us, yes, it, 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 was, it, was, it was pretty critical. Great. Thank you very much. And just to go, Jake, to your first question, which is, um, well, which was, you know, is net positive the most sustainable strategy. I mean, I would just echo it could be, which is what Dax said, but for a slightly different reason in that I think to be truly net positive, you've got to change the system around you. And therefore, changing the system means actually creating positive impacts, which are much wider than your direct impact. So that could actually really shift us towards um, greater sustainability. So I think right now, if I were to pick any kind of strategy, I'd say net positive holds the most potential, but um, willing to be challenged on that. So let's take a couple more questions. Hi there. Um, I've got a question about timescale, um, particularly um, asked of Becky, but it probably applies to all of you um, in terms of the, the amount of time this takes. I mean, you're saying 2050, if I heard that right, from, from Kingfish. I mean, that's a huge amount of time. I mean, people's careers would have, in, in the business, would have come and gone in, in, in that timescale. How do you keep that momentum that you're starting to build up and how do you set sort of milestones that maybe not, not into that positive territory but progress along that journey yeah. which is which is very long great question thank you very much let's go to the gentleman over here uh, jacob main new angles I, I don't want to be ungrateful because it's fantastic to see net positive impact being embraced by real companies um but it might sound a little ungrateful 
uh, in that it's a promise, net positive impact. And in relation to the question from our friends at Coke, I can't get my mind around a way in which you could cherry-pick uh, impacts and work on them and say you're doing net positive impact. Okay. It seems to me, and I would like a response from Sally and Dax, perhaps on behalf of the group, maybe you have actually come to a view on this in the group, um, it seems to me that you've got to look across social, financial, and environmental to, come, to give any meaning to net positive impact. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good question. So um, two questions there, both of which um, are great. Maybe, Becky, could you take the timescale one? So how do you keep momentum up when you have this long time frame of 2050 in the case of Kingfisher? Um, and then, Graham, perhaps you could start with, you know, can you really cherry-pick the areas that you want to address? Um, and perhaps Dax... You could pick that up, and I've got a reflection on that one too. So time scale, 2050, is it just so far away that actually, you know, we're not going to see any progress really soon, but how do you get those milestones clear in your journey? Um, so I think there's a couple of things we're doing to address this point. And the first thing is about breaking it down into small steps. And anyone who's heard Ellen MacArthur speak directly um, we heard Jamie this morning talking about the foundations work, but anyone who's heard Ellen MacArthur talk, when she talks about how she managed to get around the world that first time, and she actually did this talk at the launch of Net Positive, she talked about how you can't think about the enormity of that big journey because if you set out to go around the world, it's pretty daunting. But breaking it down into the very small steps that make it achievable. And so there's a job for us to do in the as the people who work on net positive and sustainability within Kingfisher to help our colleagues break it down into, into the pieces that they can manage. So that's, that's the first point. The second point, I think, is around balancing that with some transparency around where we are and are not making progress. So we've created something called a net positive dashboard as a means to communicate progress. And what we've done is, is used it in two ways. It's a tool that does two things. So it firstly is very transparent about how we're progressing towards our 2020 target. So taking timber again, um, we're aiming to get to 100% responsibly sourced timber across um, timber and paper across all our operations by 2020. And you can quite easily show on a dial your percentage progress. But there's also a part of it, um, and this is where I think a point that probably relates to the last question comes in, around measurement. So in order to show we've got a sliding scale where we've broken down, we think there are phases in becoming net positive. The phase we're in at the moment is around piloting net positive projects, so trying things out. There's no way we would claim to be in any way net positive in our business right now, but we are having a positive impact in certain areas. So as there are some forestry projects we're running in the UK and in Spain where we are able to measure a positive impact on biodiversity. And so it's important for us that in each of the areas we're targeting, we do show our progress on the shorter-term milestone, but we also show our progress on that big, bigger picture and we don't take our eye off it. And at the moment, that slider on the kind of the longer net positive journey might not be moving very fast. And the reason we're being transparent about it is so that we can question ourselves and so that others can question us on it. And in terms of the measurement part of that, 
we realised that in order to be able to demonstrate you're having a net positive impact, you need to know how to measure it. And I think you measured, mentioned that that's one of the key challenges, and it certainly is. But interestingly, when we, we took a, an idea for how we might begin to deal with some of these, these issues around how you measure it and what you measure, we took that to a group of 30 experts in the timber industry, NGOs, politicians, etc. And the feedback we got was, don't worry too much about the metrics, focus on the leadership. I mean, Sally, you were the one of the people in that room that day, so you can give your perspective. But um, we were encouraged very much, don't focus on a metrics-driven strategy, because that will take you away from the real opportunity and the leadership you can deliver. Great, thank you. And Graham, is it valid to cherry-pick the areas, or is that not quite how you see it? I, I think for, for BT... Um, it, it's very much a journey, first of all. Um, and, in fact, un, unlike Kingfisher, where net positive is, is, as I understand it, your complete sustainability strategy, for BT, net good is one of three pillars within our sustainability strategy. We also have a programme called Improving Lives and Connected Society, which we, we, we won't go into today, but which in many senses also have... Um, positive impacts on society as well. So I think, I think part of BT's journey will be exploring how our net good focus on the environment today and on, on carbon evolves over time to address other issues that, that, that we as a company will need, to, will need to address. So I think today it's absolutely right to focus on impacts, to, to cherry pick, as, as you put it, the, the biggest impacts because that's where we can have most impact on society. But we, we shouldn't forget the other impacts and we should bring them into the strategy as we evolve it. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I think you can prioritise. I mean, if you're in the beverage sector, you, you don't have an insignificant carbon footprint, but we would want, as WWF, to work with you on water stewardship, uh, and that's what we do with Coca-Cola. Um, if you're in the home improvement business, you'd hope, you know, Kingfisher would look at, ho at uh, timber and, and energy. Um, if you're in the food sector, there might be a broader bucket. You might be able to look at how do you become a health-positive um, business that does combine the health and green agendas around greener, healthier diets? If you're in the automotive and power sector, you know, you want to focus on carbon. So it's not always as simple as, as that, but I think you definitely could see businesses prioritising a lot more than they are now. I mean, the thing we respect about uh, Plan A from M&S is that it does give us five clear um, priorities, five, five pillars, I think when you don't see that kind of prioritisation, that makes me uncomfortable. It probably makes all of us uncomfortable. So uh, I, I think you can prioritise in, in many instances. Great. So let's just take um, a couple more questions from the audience. And just before we do that, um, I'd just like to put you three on notice for my final question to the three of you, which is, um, what's the one piece of advice you would give to any business or brand interested in net positive and in one sentence so one sentence one piece of advice have a think about that are there any more questions so my very quick question is what needs to happen to get the concept of net positivity into the mainstream to inject that speed and pace where a lot of mainstream businesses are still trying to grapple with doing less bad great question thank you do you believe net positive is possible to achieve on a global level without changing the current levels of consumption? So the, the buyer's behavior. Another great question. 
Right, so the question there were, was twofold. So what needs to happen to inject some pace and speed into this whole debate? And is it possible to deliver net positive with the current pace of consumption? Um, so I'll just try and pick off the first to some extent, if I may, to give um, these guys a bit of a, a breather. Um, but I think what needs to happen to inject some speed and some pace, a lot, lots of different things, but actually one thing that I think could happen more and could be very powerful, and I would say this because I work for Forum for the Future, but I think if we just stop to think about the future slightly more intelligently than we do already and just cast our minds forward 10, 15 years from now and just begin to understand the world into which we're headed and what that means for business, for civil society, for governments around the world, then I think that understanding of that very changed landscape into which we're headed actually could be a real motivator for accelerating the pace of change. Mm. And we're very short-termists. We find it much easier to think about the next three months rather than the next three decades. But I think if businesses, governments around the world, civil society could look more intelligently to the future, then that actually might be a really big motivator to accelerate the pace of change. Um, so that's my thoughts for the answer to the first one. Any further thoughts from the panel? No? Thanks. Um, you know, I think to do this, get a bunch of your colleagues together and raise the question, how would your business become net positive down the supply chain? What are the big materials that you're particularly reliant on could you, in theory, drive a positive effect on those resources? And at the customer end, to answer your question, um, what are the new kinds of innovative products and services you could offer to customers that are both lucrative, where there's a massive business case, um, and that also um, tackle um, uh, problems in society and in systems? So the two examples, I'll, I'll go back to, to Becky, you know, clearly creating forests um, is, is a, a clear material uh, benefit in the supply chain. At the customer end, it's fantastic to see the Kingfisher chief exec on the conference circuit saying, you know what, um, people are fed up with the big six power companies. We're aiming to pinch a few customers off them. We're aiming to free customers from some of the utility providers. And so we're going to, to in the long term, start to work up and develop and provide um, micro-renewable and other kinds of energy services. So I think to go into an adjacent sector is, is also very exciting. So I think if you raise those questions with colleagues, I bet you you would arrive at some pretty good things to explore. Thank you, Dex. Current patterns of consumption, is it going to be possible to be net positive with those patterns of consumption that we see today? Becky? I mean, I would say that they're already changing. Um, and there are things that are going to make that happen more quickly. So, I mean, taking closed loop again as an example, business models are changing, more sharing, more renting, more services. All of that will make it inevitable that customers will have lots of other options that they haven't had before. And I think, yeah, consumption patterns will change and, and that will help. Graham? I, I was going to pick up on the same point. The, the move towards services, I think, is, is, is critical. But I think, I think the, the other factor is that... Um, we, we can't look at net positive in isolation from the move towards the circular economy. You know, we, we will still run out of resources, even if we um, uh, 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 focus on net positive strategies. We, we have to find a way of closing the loop, and, and so I think it's, you know, those two things have got to come hand in hand. Great. Thank you.
Thank you. Um, so we're going to run just for two more minutes. We did start a bit late, so I hope that's okay, because um, I'm very keen to get the sage advice from our panellists in terms of one piece of advice for companies wishing to embrace net positive, Graham. I, I think it's about um, identifying the most material impact of, of your business, and it will be different for every, every business. Um, which today has a negative impact and which can have a positive impact. There, there, there are some aspects of your business which you won't be able to um, uh, identify a, a, a net positive approach, um, so don't waste time with them. But find the big things, find the big hitters and focus on those. The materiality is yeah. king. Yeah. Great. Becky? Don't worry about not having all the answers and all the expertise inside your business. There's... A whole world of partners to collaborate with out there. Great. Dax? I might be a bit repetitious here. I mean, I think just ask that question at the customer end. What is the new innovation that you could offer customers that you're not doing right now? And in the supply chain end, similarly, what is the big material impacts that you could reverse and, and work together with others to, to, to create net positive impacts? And also... <clears throat> Come and talk to Sally, myself, or Mark Kember at the Climate Group, because we've got this working group going. It's going to be great. Um, so, just to wrap up, I have um, taken Net Positive and created 11 little takeaways from what we've heard, and they spell Net Positive. <laughs> so, God. wait for this. Um, so, it's not that great, actually. I struggled <laughs> with a couple of them. But anyway, just to kind of try and bring together everything that we've heard, I think in an hour we've covered a huge amount of terrain and kind of really rich insights and some challenging questions, which is good. So, thank you for those. Um, but anyway, here's my N to E of Net Positive. So, N is for new solutions. E is for environmental restoration. No one said that, but it was a title of the session, and I'm quite passionate about it, so I added that one in, so sorry about that. Um, T is for targeted innovation, as um, highlighted by Dax here. P is for positive lens, one of Becky's top tips. Uh, one is for one planet, which is actually one of the ways in which Kingfisher through B&Q takes some of these messages to everyday consumers. S is for system change, which I think you mentioned, Dax, but if you didn't, I was thinking you about it. Back. Yeah, anyway, um, so that's S. Um, I is that it isn't what you say, it's what you do. T is for time to put product benefits first. I, again, is for it isn't easy, which is what Graham shared with us. V, I struggled with V, but I went for velocity, because actually, if we embrace net positive, we will get some acceleration <laughs> of progress. And E is it's ever so necessary now. So thank you all very much. <laughs>